podcast that you're listening to is being presented to you with the cooperation of the SJ Network. If you're a person who needs a publicist and you want to appear on podcasts, contact Stephen Joyner at s-j-network.com. Let's get on with the show. Today's episode is about the podcast, BGs and Me. Dudley, aren't you a big BGs fan? Yes, I'm a huge fan. Maybe I should start the show quoting their lyrics, like I started a joke, which started the whole world laughing. Yes, you could, but if the Shilpa wrote that joke, you probably wouldn't get that result. Attention Rebels of the Sure Pollution. Today's podcast is being brought to you by Audible. You can get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com Sherpa. There are over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. And now Mr. Bruce will lead you into the Sherpa Chalet. As a reminder, throwing water balloons, or people, off the cliffs, is strictly prohibited. Welcome to Too Many Podcasts, the podcast about podcasts. Now, podcasting from the Sherpa Chalet on Mount Podcastia, he's your host, Jim, the Podcast Sherpa. Hello there, Rebels, and welcome to another episode of Too Many Podcasts. You know where you were, and you know who I am, Jim, the Podcast Sherpa. How you doing? Let me ask you a question. How you feeling? You got a little uh, night fever? Hmm, are you staying alive? Well, I just got to get a message to you, Rebels, and that message is, it's a theme week. It's theme week. It's theme week. It's theme week. And what other theme week would we have with such musical references? It's got to be about the Bee Gees. That's right. It's Barry, Robin, and Morris Gibb. And we are talking to a guy named David Fedor, and he hosts a podcast called Bee Gees and Me. And this is a really interesting conversation. This guy just loves the Bee Gees, and he's a real fan and a real collector. And you can really hear the passion that he has for listening to their music. And that's really exciting to hear when somebody's excited about anything. And it also makes for a good interview. So let's have a listen. In the event of something happening to me, there's something I would like you all to see. It's just this interview that I once did with David Fedor of Bee Gees and Me. Hello there, Rebels. We are in Studio 54 of the Sherpa Chalet. Well, it's not Studio 54 anymore. It's now a broom closet, but it's a really nice broom closet with really cool lighting. And I've got a guest here who's got a really interesting podcast. It's called Bee Gees and Me. His name is David Fedor. Hanging out on the East Coast, we get to talk collectibles and the Bee Gees and lots of music, and he's right here. How you doing, David? Hey, I'm doing fantastic. How are you today? I'm doing very well. Thanks for coming on the show, and welcome. So, the Bee Gees, now you are actually younger than me, mm-hmm. and but your obsession with the Bee Gees... The, from a band from the 60s actually started around the 90s, right? Yeah, so that's one of the weird things about my story is that I discovered the Bee Gees later in the you know history of the band. A lot of 
the Bee Gees fan base were disco dancing through the 70s or even earlier. I discovered them as a teenage boy in the suburbs of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania in the year 1993. So for the longest time, I was the only person that I ever knew who loved the Bee Gees. And it was literally just the Bee Gees and me. So that's how I kind of came upon this Bee Gees and me thing where I didn't have anybody to talk to. I tried to get all my friends to become Bee Gees fans. And uh, just recently within you know, the past couple of years, reaching out and connecting with people online has been like one of these, oh my God, why haven't I been doing this? The <laughs> internet has been around, David. You should have known. And I'm finally getting to trade stories and talk with people and share our love for the music of the Bee Gees. So it's, it's a bit exciting. So what did it at first? What was the thing that, that kind of flipped the light bulb on? Was there anything specific? There is a very specific story and one that I, I tell a lot, which is fun. It was a Wednesday. I remember it was a Wednesday because I had a football game to play that night. I was on the JV team and we had our games on Wednesday evenings. And because of the bus schedule, getting back to the school in time for the football game and whatever, my mom came and picked me up from school and I was being driven home. You know, I was riding the backseat. My mom was driving my sister had shotgun and I hear this song come on over the radio. And it instantly captured my attention and instantly grabbed my ear. The pulsing beat, the, the the shrieking falsetto vocals, it was the most amazing thing I'd ever heard. So I leaned forward and I said, Mom, do you mind turning up the radio? I want to hear this song. And her and my sister turned around, oh, shut up, shut up. <laughs> they didn't. I like to tell the story that way. They hate when I tell the story that way. But regardless, the, the, the radio station did not get turned up. I had to get up on my knees and turn around and position myself with my ear on the speaker of the back bench of the 1991 Oldsmobile Cutlass Sierra as we're driving down a major highway in my town at dangerous speeds. I'm risking my life to find out what this song was and hear this song. Turns out it was their 1993 single at the time called Paying the Price of Love. It was off their album that had just come out, size and everything. And it was as far from disco as what they had. So it shocked me when I found out that it was the Bee Gees. I'd, I'd sat there and listened to that radio station until they played it again. And that's when I heard the DJ say it was the Bee Gees. I was like, what? Aren't those those disco guys? Oh, this is what? And it blew my mind. So then I started going and hunting down uh, albums and, and getting all the different things. And, and this was pre-Napster. This was pre-internet. I had to actually go through, go to stores and go to flea markets and thumb through records to pull old, you know, vinyl records and, and play them and, and discover that this Bee Gees band has been around since the early 60s, recording music in Australia and England and now America. And, um, and from there, it became how do I get more? How do I learn more? How do I get more of my friends to like this? So I'd make tapes and give them my friends and make, make them listen to them and try to convert them to uh, fans and stuff like that. And I don't really know why other than the music captured my ear and my heart and my soul. And it's been a downward spiral ever since. <laughs> I guess it just kind of resonated with you. That's what happens, I guess, when especially whenever you're like a band, there's always that something about them that clicks in your brain and, and it has your 
yeah. your undivided attention. Well, with the Bee Gees, it's definitely their harmony. So for those who might not know, the Bee Gees are brothers, Barry, Robin, and Morris Gibb. And the three of them, when they sing in those harmonies, it's one of the most magical vocal arrangements that I've ever heard. Only other brother acts, I think, have compared, like the Beach Boys and and uh, groups like that, um, like some of the Temptations and the the Mills Brothers and things like that, are are people that the Bee Gees have said that it inspired their sound because of that harmony, the three part harmony, and it, it's ridiculous and it's addictive and it's great. Did you kind of go and start buying their back catalog before you listening to the newer stuff first, just, just to kind of get a whole feel for it or you just kind of started from that point and then you kind of built it up on both yeah i tried to get as much as i could get my hands on so uh cds were the you know the format of choice so i went to the record stores the sam goodies the uh places in the mall and went went buy their records and again this is you know before internet where you could just download and have hundreds of songs at your disposal so uh, when I would get a new album I would listen to that over and over and over again until it became you know repetitious or whatever I would get vinyl records at the flea markets for for a dollar or a quarter even for some of them depending on the the quality so yeah it, it was it was slow so those first couple of years it wasn't like today where you could have a Wikipedia page and and learn their biography you had to get the old books and you had to read them and you had to get the old albums and either play them in a physical format. And and I would have my portable CD player in my car listening to it as I drove back and forth uh, to, to work. And some of my fondest memories of those late 90s days were when I graduated high school and, and I'd drive to my day job at a at an amusement park and the summer heat would be rolling in the window and I would hear the Bee Gees off the CD. That's that's just it's magic. It's it's something I connected with and was a soundtrack to my life those those years, those formative years, and it left an imprint on my DNA. It's funny, uh, I have a large music collection too, and I know with like listening to vinyl, when you start playing an album over and over again, you get to the point where you can time the next song with all the little <laughs> in between the songs. Yeah. <laughs> and you can know like when that first note is going to hit and it's like, boom, it's right there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there's nothing like, I, ju- I just went out and got um, Barry's Greenfields album. He just put out a country album at the beginning of this year um, with a bunch of different country artists and they all did country covers of popular Bee Gees songs. And they had um, a vinyl copy and CDs and, and things like that. And they had a special green vinyl and a metallic silver vinyl and regular black vinyl. And I had to get them all. And then I, and I was playing in my ratty old record player. So then I had to go out and buy a better record player because I was like, I can't play these good new vinyl records with my dull needle. So yeah, it, it helped me rediscover. And, and then I started playing all my old vinyls again. There's something magical about the physical and even reading books too, having that tangible thing in your hands, flipping a record, putting in a CD in a tray even. It's a nice it's a nice experience. It's funny because people always say, well, you know, streaming is the way to go. You, you got to subscribe to a service. The physical element of it kind yeah. of disappears. You don't get to enjoy like the liner notes. I always used to like to read liner oh, notes man. and look at the lyrics and and the, and the and the lyrics and the photos. Yeah, 
And, and like, look, like, I know your listeners can't see, but you could see behind me, I have b- bookshelves full of records and, <laughs> and, and books and does. <laughs> all the, all these things. And right over here, I'm pointing off, off the way. I have a closet that's full of DVDs and Blu-rays. And I, downstairs in my basement, I have a Tupperware, giant Tupperware container full of VHS tapes that I refuse to throw away because how many times do people freak out online about, oh, they pulled office off of Netflix. What am I going to do? Guess what? I got an office on my, (laughs) on DVD. I don't have to worry about it being taken off Netflix. Sure. I'm going to stream it when I can, but I never have to worry because I spent five bucks to get a used copy of season seven of the office. And every season after that sucked because Chris, uh, Steve Carell left and (laughs) doesn't matter. Did you ever get to see them in concert or it never really worked out? Oh, see, this is a, this is one of the the sad things. Um, it never worked out for me to see the three brothers, Barry, Morris, and Robin, in concert. Like we were talking about, I joined late when I was a teenager mm-hmm. in the '90s. They rarely performed live by that point. They had a few big shows. Probably when I was listening with them to them, they probably had maybe 20 live appearances that I could conceivably have gone to. Um, they did a lot overseas. They did their one night only tour. They did, you know, one huge show on every continent. And that was kind of like one of their farewell tours or whatever. But I was either in high school or college. And um, it, was, it wasn't feasible for me to actually go. Not knowing that I would have to. Like if I knew that Morris was going to unexpectedly pass away at the age of 53 and you know, the year 2003, I made a, a point to go see them perform live. Um, yeah, he, he died early and, um, and they never toured again. Uh, I did see Barry perform in the year 2014 for his um, mythology tour. And he toured with uh, Morris's daughter, Samantha Gibb, and Barry's own son, Stephen Gibb. And they had, you know, the full, you know, Barry's band behind them. And, and, uh, I definitely made sure I was like, all right, I missed seeing them all perform. I can't go my whole life without seeing at least Barry alive or uh, performing live because Robin had passed away by that point too. Um, so I spent, you know, a lot of money to get third row seats right in the center and, uh, yelled, it was me and a bunch of ladies who loved them in the seventies and they were all singing along to the music. And I was like, I I came to hear Barry sing. Um, (laughs) but it was, it was great. It was, it was a fun experience. Um, I waved and yelled until he waved back at me. So, and then I was like, all right, you know, that's good enough. Uh, I bum rushed the stage at the end of the night to try to get a pick or, you know, some kind of like, did he drink out of that water bottle? Give me that water bottle. It might have berry DNA on it. Um, but I got the set list that was taped to the floor. So that was cool. Um, and you know, that was as close as I got to, to seeing him perform. It was a great show. It was, it was, is really good. And hopefully with the success of this new country album, he's been talking about maybe doing some things in Nashville whenever stuff opens up. So I don't know if that'll be later this year or possibly next year. He's doing a volume two of his country album stuff. So um, you, you bet I'll be driving to Nashville if, uh, if he goes live again. So when you were saying that there's like a country vibe to the new songs on the new record, 
I remember there's a one of their older songs called Rest Your Love on Me. Yeah. And that definitely had like an old country yeah. Nashville kind of feel to it. They, they have a lot of roots. Like they grew up in Australia. Um, so it was kind of outback-ish. You know, they had that that kind of country upbringing. Um, in the late 60s, early 70s, before they went disco, they definitely experimented with sounds because they, 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 they had a lot of those hits with the ballads, the, you know, how can you mend a broken heart and to love somebody and, how, you know, all those other, other uh, orchestral type, Beatles-esque type songs. But then everything started changing. The, the, the music started changing. The, their you know, albums weren't selling the same. So then they started experimenting with a couple different sounds to try to find where the direction of their band was going. And yeah, they definitely tried to get a, an American sound. They were looking at country music. So like, you know, alternative tracks, you'd have some kind of weird Beach Boy sounding song, you'd have a country song, you'd have an R&B song. And it wasn't until they moved to Miami and totally fully embraced that R&B lifestyle that they they settled on on that disco sound mm-hmm. um, when everything changed. So yeah, hearing Barry talk about how much, you know, admiration and respect that he has for country music and getting to perform with these country music stars, it's, it's, he's giddy again. He's having fun again. He's experimenting and evolving his sound again. And I think this is probably the most fun he's had since, you know, his brothers passed away that he's, he's getting to make music again. And the, and the album went number one in the UK and went number one in Australia and, and charted here in the States. Uh, it, it was a huge success. Their HBO documentary came out um, in December. So, for, you know, this is a big time right now for, for Bee Gees music and Barry and, and getting more uh, press and more respect and more, more exposure. So that's fun. They kind of got a raw, raw deal with the disco era in in a way because it's funny when you listen to some of that dance music now, and you you're hearing bands that were using orchestras, they yeah. were using actual brass, they weren't all synthesizers. It wasn't like a very flat kind of unemotional. It was it was party music. You know that was what it was all about. Yeah. I think probably what happened so much is that because it hit so big so fast, they really, they oversaturated the airwaves sure, and everybody absolutely. had to climb on board. And <laughs> that's what happens with every fad, right? It just, it gets it beaten out. to death. So people will get tired of it. And, and then like, okay, no, we don't want anything to do with that. But they at least, they, they came out survivors, really, when you think about it. The strength of what they did, they were songwriters first. They wrote quality songs. If you listen to those songs, there's much more depth to it than if you were to listen to Disco Duck or if you were to listen to, you know, um, some of those other Don't Rock the Boat or YMCA or whatever. Not that those are bad songs. Those are fun. Well, no, Disco Duck is definitely a bad song. But, (laughs) you know, a lot of those other disco songs were disposable because they weren't made to be, you know, sit to and listen to and analyze and digest. They were made to go out and dance to. They were made to have rep- repetitive beats so that DJs and the discotheques could cut between the songs and people could dance and sweat and drink and snort their Coke and have a good time. That's what disco was about. And I think 
you know, the, the, the documentary had a good, good explanation of, of the backlash and, and they focused on the, the disco sucks movement and the, the disco demolition that they had where they blew up the records and Whiskey Park. Yeah. And it was, it was a lot of things rooted in, uh, racism and homophobia and all this other stuff that was going on that, you know, even to this day, we're still feeling reverberations from, but I think it was a lot of that negativity that fueled that because, you know, they showed in the documentary, it was like bring disco records to blow up inside Kaminsky park or whatever. And they were, they were like showing all the records and it was like, these aren't even disco records. These are just black records. You know, these aren't disco records. These are just dance records. So it was kind of this weird thing. And yeah, the PGs with, as you said, oversaturation, they were the cover boys for this. They were the easy target because they had more hits than anybody since the Beatles. They had 10, you know, five songs in a top 10 for the first time. Only Beatles have done that, them and the Beatles. They were the ones being played all the time. They were the ones on the cover of Saturday Night Fever. They were the ones that were um, the easy target. And and yeah, it, it pushed them underground and, and they didn't do anything as the Bee Gees until the late 80s. And, um, but they had a lot of success doing stuff with other people and writing songs for other artists. And, and they kind of focused on and had their second career as songwriters to, to fall back on. As you're saying that, I'm thinking about some of the bands that were popular around that era. Yeah. And a lot of them didn't really have a face attached to it. You knew what their songs were. Casey and the Sunshine Band, you know, it was a guy named Harry Casey. Could people really know really off the top of their heads what, what he looked like? Did they know anybody in the band? No. You knew Barry, Robin, and Morris. They became the face. You know, they were on billboards and, and all the teen magazines. I guess it becomes a blessing and a curse, right? You become <laughs> yeah. you become the symbol for something that maybe you might not want to become the symbol for. <laughs> right. And and what's the alternative? You know, they're, they're struggling musicians for the rest of their lives. Nobody wants to do that. Nobody right. wants to perform and, and be underappreciated, even though the backlash caused them to be underappreciated, but you know, at least they were underappreciated millionaires. I want to ask you a little bit about your memorabilia. I'm a collector. I like saving things. I like collecting things. I think it was being born and, or not born, but raised in the nineties where, uh, comic books and baseball cards, everybody, you know, from the generation before me was talking about how their baseball cards were thrown away. So you have to save baseball cards because they're going to be worth money. They're only worth money if the majority of them are thrown away. So everybody from my generation that saved their baseball cards have, you know, worthless baseball cards now. But that fear of throwing things away was instilled in me. So uh, I became a collector. I have comic books, I have action figures, I have, you know, things. And, and of course, as the Bee Gees are one of my biggest passions in life, they're, you know, it carries over to that. I have, you know, all the records of all their albums. I've, you know, doubles of copies and things. But the the stuff that I like is the is the weird things, the stuff that's still in original packaging. Like anybody has a ratty old phonograph that they played their 45s on, but the 45 the you know the phonograph that I have is still in the original box that it was sitting on the shelf with. And when you open that up, that for that uh record player is mint, you know. I still have the AM FM radio in the bubble wrap. I still have 
have, there's this poster that comes with a bunch of markers and you color it in. It's like color by number. Um, I've only seen a few of them even sold and they've been colored in and scribbled all over. I have one that's original in its original shrink wrap with the markers still with the caps on and all that stuff. So it's like, that's the sort of stuff that as kind of this historian this, I want to get the good stuff. I want to get the buttons that are still in the package. And and part of the fun of that is then showing it off on my Instagram account. And, and then people could say, oh, I remember that. And I used to have one just like that. And then we talk about the PGs and how great they are. And, and it's a way to connect with other fans. So it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. Do you have a prized possession out of your collectibles? Um, kind of like that's, like asking somebody what their favorite Bee Gees song is. Uh, I, I don't want to pick one because then I hurt the feelings of the other ones. <laughs> I have, you I'm know. I'm going to ask you for your top five anyway, but. <laughs> <laughs> top five songs? Oh, yeah. Can I swear on this podcast? <laughs> um, some, yeah, some of those ones that I mentioned are, are fun. Like I, I like collecting the 1993 album that, um, that first exposed me to the Bee Gees, uh, size and everything. So I have, you know, a pressing of it from uh, Russia on vinyl. I have a pressing of it from Brazil. I have, uh, you know, I have a, a copy of it from Japan. I have uh, a bootleg cassette of it that came from India. I have, you know, one from Belgium. Um, so I would say the sizes, everything stuff is probably my favorite, and the singles that came off of that. It's something that something I enjoy. Is there any other music that you like to listen to, no, or is it just, never no no? <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, the, the rest of it is you know eclectic. I guess it's it's more pop. I definitely lean towards pop. I'm a I'm a huge Brandy Carlisle fan. Uh, I've seen her in concert uh, probably four or five times. Um, I love ABBA. I like Millie Vanilli. Yeah, Millie Vanilli predates the Bee Gees when I was when I was listening to music. <laughs> so I have some of their collection that's stored right up in right up in here. But you know, it's it's and and then like I have random songs that I play when I work out or I go cycling. I'll have my earbuds in and and I'll discover new music and and it's just random stuff. But it's it's usually some kind of weird weird music that nobody else likes. So <laughs> which is funny because I've I'll, I'm going to go on a tangent. So I apologize. You could okay. cut this part out if uh, <laughs> if it gets too long. In the early 2000s, I was hanging out with you know a nice variety uh, of friends from different backgrounds, and and you know I was in my single single life living in Pittsburgh, and I I realized that. I needed to expand my musical horizons. So I started this group with my friends called the Disc Poets Society. And once a month, we got together, we, we picked a theme for music compilations, and we burned CDs full of music to exchange with each other. We, we would have bring covered dishes over, like each month somebody else hosted. And you know we did this maybe throughout the year, like for maybe a, a, one year. And by the end of the year, we had like, a living room full of people together and we're all sitting around and eating and drinking and having a good time and listening to music and telling each other stories about music. And it was a way for me to, you know, of course I slipped in as much Bee Gees as I could without making it seem too obvious, but I also was able to get exposed to a lot of different uh, bands and a lot of different things. And that's, pr I th I'm pretty sure that's where I discovered Brandy Carlisle. Uh, one of my friends put dreams on, on one of their mixes. It's that sort of thing that, and, and I'm trying to incorporate a little bit of that into, into my podcast, which we could talk about later too, where I get 
people on to the show to talk about the BGs, but then also to talk about other groups as well. Cause I think it, it's probably healthier for, for, for us to be well-rounded. BGs fans are, a, are a uh, obsessive bunch and a dedicated bunch. You're helping me segue right into my next question, David. Yes. So let's talk a little bit about your podcast, BGs and me. You've had some interesting interviews and some people have, have a connection to, to the group. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm reaching out to as many people, um, as I, as I can, who have met them personally or worked with them and things like that. Um, my first episode, my first guest was Diane Steinberg Lewis. She was an actress and, and played Lucy as Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds in the in the Sergeant Pepper's movie, and it was fascinating talking with her. She's so wonderful, and and um, hearing not only the stories about her life, but then you know that few months that she was able to to be on set with the BGs and that was just it sounded like a great time uh, I, I I spoke with an executive producer of a tribute album who put out uh, a tribute album for for the BGs and he worked with you know a dozen to tw- you know, probably upwards of 20 different musical groups to cover BG songs. And then, and, and it was his passion project to put this, you know, tribute album together. And it was awesome to hear his story. I spoke with a photographer who spent a year in the homes of the Bee Gees and, and being on the road with them and being uh, at Sgt. Pepper's, the movie, taking pictures of them and hearing her stories. And um, some of the ones that haven't aired yet are, are things like, you know, other, other fans or other things that I'm looking a way to connect something to the Bee Gees. So um, I, had a, I had a good friend, I was on his podcast. He, um, he has a Bruce Springsteen podcast. So I talked with the Bee Gees on his podcast. I brought him on on mine to talk about Bruce Springsteen. And then we listened to a bunch of music together. And that one's coming out in a couple... Uh, nope, that one would have come out already. <laughs> um, so so it's, remember the time shift. I remember the time shift. <laughs> so yeah, so the uh, eventually I want to talk with more fans and hear their stories because people love hearing and sharing their own personal stories. Um, so so hopefully you know I could I could talk with as many interesting people and uh, we're all here to celebrate the music of the Brothers Gibb. And there is definitely a lot to celebrate about it. They've got a. Longer career than most people realize. Yeah, from 67, at least nationally, they released a few albums before that in Australia, all the way up to the early 2000s. And then um, Robin was still making music up until 2012, and Barry's still making music to this day. So there's over 50 albums to speak about and uh, lots of lots of fun things. So uh, and and I post some fun pictures on my Instagram account at BGs and me and I'm on Twitter and there's a Facebook group and everything's at bgsandme.com. It's uh, like I'm I just want to connect with as many people as I can because of spending so long feeling ashamed of being the only BGs fan that I knew. Uh, I, I need I need the love and support. <laughs> You're not alone anymore. Now. I'm not alone <laughs> anymore. It's fantastic. <laughs> okay, so since uh, we're talking about your podcast, what are some other podcasts that you like to listen to besides this one that I'm on right now? I love love listening to yours. Uh, my friend uh, Set Lusting Bruce is. Uh, his Jesse Jackson's podcast. He has a Bruce Springsteen podcast, and uh, he's a good listen. Um, 
in terms of the like the bigger ones or you know the the national ones that have been coming out since this pandemic started a lot of people have been going um podcasting because they can't make tv shows or whatever there's a one called real friends fake doctors with zach braff and donald Faison, and i love scrubs and I recently started watching it again during this pandemic. And then I discovered the podcast and started listening to the podcast and then having to go back and then watch the episodes again. And then I got my wife to start listening to the podcast. And now she and I are going back and watching again. So probably within this year, we've watched nine seasons of Scrubs. Well, eight seasons of Scrubs. Those, the last season of Scrubs doesn't count. Um, <laughs> you don't like we, those last seasons, do you? <laughs> no. Yeah. The, the, all the stars usually leave. They start trying to introduce other characters and it's just not the same. Um, but yeah, um, that one is great. And then there's um, My Brother, My Brother, Me is fantastic. There's a couple of wrestling ones that I listen to. So, um, and, and the the one bad thing... Uh, you know, I've been I've been laid off since the pandemic and stuff, and um, I'm not in the car often at all. And I always used to, you know, commute to work. It was, you know, a good 35 minute commute to work, and I'd be able to do a podcast a day. But now I'm home with my kids, and you know, I can't I can't listen to podcasts as often as I could, so I don't uh, I don't get to anymore. But um, Wrestle Me is a good one. So uh, we I know you kind of touched on some of the stuff, but we do have a portion of the show called Shameless Self Promotion. Shameless Self Promotion. Ah, okay. And this is where you can let everybody know where they can follow you on social media, or if they uh, think that, that they may want to check out to learn more about the show. Sure. Um, it's, yeah, my uh, my podcast is called BGs and Me, and the website is bgsandme.com. I post videos online, and uh, you know have unboxings and closer looks at some of the merchant, uh, you know, merchandise and memorabilia, some of the albums and things like that. Um, and then, in addition to the podcast, where I have conversations like this, but with other people doing most of the talking instead of me, uh, or at least I try to. And that's on Apple and Spotify and Google. What's fun? It's uh, it's on Spotify as well, so that I could do listening parties and I'll have guests on and we'll listen to music and actually talk about the songs and things like that. So that to me is a joy because this is all about sharing music. So uh, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at BGs and me. And that's, that's where everything can be found. So there you have it, folks. So if you're staying alive, I've been doing a little bit of jive talking with my friend, David Fedor. David, BGs and me is the name of the podcast. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. We're on that internet thingy at SherPollution.com. And now it's time for Sherpa Suggestions. Since the Bee Gees musical career spans from the 1960s, through the late 90s, early 2000s, I figured I'd give you a list of some podcasts with some classic music on it. We have, of course, Disco Mixes, the Absolute Radio 70s Podcasts, Retro Redoctopus, The Yacht Rock Show with Eddie Gans. 
Dance Floor Memories with Patrick Hawkins podcast. That's got a lot of mix of classic disco. You guys like that disco stuff. And the Encore Show, the best of the 60s, 70s, and 80s. The Hitman USA 70s, 80s disco mixes. And finally, the Get Ready Breakfast Show, bringing you club classic tracks from the late 70s to 2019, covering all aspects of dance music. So break out that polyester suit and point to the ceiling like you're John Travolta and... Ooh, well, I'm pointing to the ceiling. There's a spider there. Ooh, get back. A very special thanks to David Fedor of BGs and Me for coming on down to the Sherpa Chalet. Thank you so much, David. What a fun interview that was. It's nice to hear people who are so passionate about the music that they love. I love it too. And you know, I've got a music podcast too. If you're listening to the show on Spotify, check out some episodes of Too Many 80 Songs. That's the little mini podcast that I did with Mr. Bruce, if you'd like to check it out. So what's going on next week? We've got a really wonderful guest. Her name is Deborah Driggs. And Deborah is a former Playboy Playmate. And she's coming out with a book later on this year, and it's about her life and a lot of life advice. And her story is really amazing. It's really a true testament to resilience. I think you're going to enjoy that story. And I think you'll like the episode. Definitely the type of stuff that people can get behind when you want to cheer for the underdog. And Deborah is just a lovely person, and I really had a great time talking to her. I found her story really fascinating. I hope you enjoy it, too. So that'll be on next week. And in the meantime, Mr. Bruce, if you don't mind showing everybody the door, and I'll just say, Oh, I, I hurt myself. Could you get me an ice pack when you come back? Thank you, sir. See you guys next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to Too Many Podcasts. Please disperse. You can go home now. I said you can go home now. Viva la chapalition. Viva la chapalition. <coughs> oh. Yeah, I'll come back now, you hear? <laughs>